Ordinarily, we could say that February 8th marks the beginning of the second quarter for the month. But we're in one of those years with an extra day. How are your plans to mark leap year shaping up? Would you support an alternate plan to make that extra rotation its own special month? And if so, what would it be called? This assemblage of information is called Charlottesville Community Engagement, and I'm called Sean Tubbs, and this is called the last sentence of the intro. On today's show, City Council holds the second reading on a resolution authorizing the purchase of 405 Levy Avenue and 405 Avon Street from the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority, and the amount authorized increased since the first reading. The General Assembly catch-up session continues with a list of continued bills, and the Board of Architectural Review in Charlottesville takes a look at a speculative project on West Main Street on property that has since been listed for sale. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, are you interested in learning more about the health of area waterways? Would you like to get some first-hand experience using science to evaluate water quality? Or perhaps you'd like to help keep rivers and streams clear of debris and trash? If any of these apply, consider joining the Rivanna Conservation Alliance for a volunteer open house on Thursday, February 15th. You can go by the RCA office on River Road anytime between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. to learn about their programs and the many ways that you can get involved. Staff members will be on hand to share information about their monitoring, restoration, education, and stewardship activities. New and current volunteers are welcome. Light refreshments will be provided. RSVPs are appreciated at rivannariver.org. The Charlottesville City Council has authorized City Manager Sam Sanders to spend up to $4.181 million to purchase two properties from the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. The funding comes from the American Rescue Plan Act, but no final decision has been made about whether the property will be used as a homeless shelter. Here is Charlottesville Mayor Juan Diego Wade. It is a real estate transaction. There's been no determination at this point to be what's going to be done with it. I know what's out there. The topic was first raised by City Manager Sanders at the Planning Commission's January 9, 2024 meeting when he was asked what was planned for addressing calls for a permanent shelter. Here is Planning Commissioner Kareem Habab with the question. I had a question on the things up for discussion, the homelessness strategy. Do we have any like ballpark cost number or what's... In response, Sanders told Habab that there was no specific strategy or cost associated with it, but he had a small preview of an item that would come up at Council's January 22nd meeting. That was one that had been postponed by inclement weather. Not to get ahead of council, I'm sharing something with them uh, this week uh, for action that we might be able to take to move this particular initiative forward. Um, but there's a lot to be determined in, in what is the right approach. And here's how the staff report for the January 22 meeting reads. This acquisition supports the city manager's commitment to homelessness intervention, as it could become the site of a facility that serves to meet that need, among others. The intention is to hold the property until a comprehensive assessment of homeless service needs, including shelter beds, is completed, along with a feasibility study to operate 24-7, 365 days a year. 
The second meeting on the matter was on the consent agenda for the February 5th meeting. Between the two readings, the total amount of ARPA funding to reallocate toward the project had increased to $4.181 million. Members of the public are given the opportunity to comment on consent agenda items before one vote is taken to approve them all. Nearby resident Alex Omaya expressed concern that the site had been a gas station for many years before being purchased by the CRHA, and that there had been previously a petroleum leak from a tank when the property had been the business called Kenny and Jeff's Auto Repair. In terms of fully understanding what you're getting into, I think it's important to evaluate the environmental issues associated with the site. Omaya also called on the city to engage with city residents who he said were not consulted before council selected a location for a future homeless shelter. He said if the city proceeds with this site as a place for a permanent shelter, services would need to be provided to support residents and that cost would need to be covered. So I think budget should be um, you know, considered and evaluated for support of those services because if you don't provide the full suite of services, <clears throat> that, then problems of the residents become you know, city problems, basically. You want to make sure that, that they're adequately addressed. Omaya had been the first speaker. And Mayor Wade made his comments before the second speaker. He said a final decision on what to do with the property would come after that comprehensive study has been completed. What does this community need? What is the real need of a, a, a number of beds that's needed? We don't know that yet. And once we have that information, we would then work with the community, our partners, to determine what that would look like. The consent agenda always gives the opportunity for people to offer their thoughts on items such as this purchase, and several other people also spoke on this topic. Rebecca Ellison is an adjacent resident on Hinton Avenue who expressed support for the city purchasing the lot for the stated purpose. While I understand that shelter services are necessary at times, I hope the redevelopment plans also include deeply affordable housing and permanent supportive housing units for those who may not be able to meet the requirements of a residential shelter while they stabilize and move towards permanent housing. Canned beverages are apparently allowed in chambers. Catherine Walden is also an adjacent resident on Hinton Avenue and also supported the city purchasing the land to provide services, and that could be an asset. But, um, I and you have said you will do this, I want to hold you all to the promise that you will conduct robust community engagement for this process. Um, it has, the, it's a big site, it's, um, people walk past it every day, school kids get off the bus and walk down to Kindlewood right by it. You know, there's a lot going on at that site and there's a lot of potential. So I am, I am going to hold you to <laughs> your promise. Walden also suggested other properties may be more suitable for the purposes of a homeless shelter. A shelter has an element of danger, of uncertainty potentially with it that can be extremely disruptive for any residential neighborhood, not just this particular one. Walden suggested the city instead consider purchasing 302-316 West Main Street, the former location of the Greyhound bus station that was purchased in January 2023 for over $2.42 million, which is currently on the market. Assuming the purchase price will be the full amount council authorized, the city would purchase the land from the CRHA for 52.62% over the assessed value. When asked about this at council's meeting on January 22nd, 
Sanders responded that a sustainability study commissioned by CRHA estimated that CRHA could have gotten between $7 million and $11 million on a sale to the private market. I'll add that there are additional community benefits that will come later as CRHA unveils what they would do with the resources that they would receive for this site. It checks additional boxes to benefit the city and its economic development strategies. On January 26th, the CRHA Board of Commissioners, which includes City Councilor Michael Payne, voted to authorize Executive Director John Sales to purchase 310 East Main Street for up to $2.65 million for a future headquarters and other possible uses. The city's purchase reflects a city government willing to spend money to obtain land and property. In the past year, Charlottesville has spent $5.9 million to purchase nearly 24 acres of land on the Rivanna River, contributed $5 million to the CRHA for half the cost of purchasing 74 units known as dogwood housing from wooded properties, and the school board purchased Albemarle's share of the Charlottesville Area Technical Education Center for $5.3 million. We are now past the halfway mark for the General Assembly, an annual frenzy when hundreds of bills are processed within a very brief period of time. What started four weeks ago yesterday will be complete on March 9th, when both houses adjourn for six weeks while Governor Yunkin decides what he will sign and what he will veto. Perhaps one of the most important bills for localities across Virginia is one that would allow any locality across the Commonwealth to hold a referendum to ask voters if they would consent to a sales tax increase to fund school construction. Several jurisdictions across Virginia have this authority due to specific requests that were approved when Democrats held both chambers, such as Danville. After the Republicans gained the House of Delegates in time for the 2022 session, a bill to allow Charlottesville the ability to hold a referendum died in a subcommittee. There's a link to a long story about that in the newsletter. A bill from Senator Jeremy McPike, a Democrat from the 29th District, would give blanket permission to all localities to put the question to the public in a referendum. SB 14 reported out of the Senate Finance and Appropriations Committee on a 10-4 vote and then passed the Senate on a 27-13 vote. Now on to legislation that has been continued to the next session. That means it might come back, it might not. HB 20 would have allowed localities to place photo speed cameras in any location, rather than just in school zones and highway work zones. A House of Delegates Transportation Subcommittee has continued this legislation until the 2025 session. A similar bill, HB 521, was incorporated into HB 20 and is also thus continued to 2025. HB 33 would have directed the Commissioner of Health to convene a work group to study microplastics in drinking water and make recommendations. A panel of the Rules Committee continued the bill to 2025 on a voice vote. HB 41 would have required the Board of Education to create a standard of learning for civics and local government. The K-12 subcommittee held a voice vote. HB 228 would have amended the Virginia Consumer Protection Act to prevent the sale of containers or packaging that is labeled as recycled, unless the material is officially recognized by the Virginia Waste Management Board. 
HB 524 would have required applicants for federal permits for natural gas lines with a diameter of 24 inches to also file with the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality. Currently, the DEQ does require joint permits for projects with greater than 36 inches in diameter. HB 658 would expand ranked choice voting to any elected office in a locality, not just a city council or the board of supervisors, also continued to 2025. HB 747 would have created standards for developers of artificial intelligence. A substitute was developed, but that's been continued to 2025. HB 900 would have required a locality to include in its zoning ordinance a provision for allowing accessory dwelling units in single-family residential zones. This was continued through action in the counties, cities, and towns committee. HB 922 would have allowed common interest communities, such as homeowners associations, from banning the use of pesticides. HB 961 would have established a tax credit program for the sustainability of local newspapers. Here's a fun fact. I looked this up on news.google.com and there were no hits. Maybe in 2025? HB 1091 would have required the Virginia Advisory Committee for Career and Technical Education to recommend best practices for introducing career and technical education into elementary school. HJ 24 would have created a 13-member joint subcommittee to study the Dillon Rule and its impact on Virginia localities, maybe again in 2025, but only if the state says it's okay. And one from the Senate. I didn't get to the Senate for a lot of these because I just didn't. I'll get to it. SB 124 would have allowed betting on sports played by Virginia college and university teams. Currently, you can bet on college sports in Virginia, but not on Virginia teams. This was reported out of the General Laws and Technology Committee on a 12-2 to 2 vote, but the Finance and Appropriations Committee continued the bill to 2025. More from Richmond in future editions of the program. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. February is a busy month for the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society, with four events for you to consider and put on your calendar. On February 13th, 2024, architectural historian Richard Guy Wilson will give a presentation on the colonial revival style that is commonplace in Charlottesville and Williamsburg. This talk will be at the Center at Belvedere at 6 p.m., but I hear it's sold out, so you can stream it on Facebook Live. On February 14th, JMRL's Historical Collection Librarian will give an introduction to African-American genealogy at 11 a.m. for those who want to find their ancestors. On February 20th, 2024, Preservation Piedmont, JMRL, and the ACHS will present a free screening of the documentary Raised, Raised, at 6 p.m. in the Swanson Room at the Central Branch. And on February 25th, 2024, HCHS is sponsoring the film premiere for Current, A Descendant Journey for Truth. That'll be at the Lighthouse Studio Theater. At a time of significant pushback on the teaching of whole truth history in our schools and book banning throughout the country, this timely film explores the question, why is it important to tell the truth about history? Tickets are available for sale at a link in the newsletter. For more information about the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society, visit albemarlehistory.org. Thank you. 
one more segment to go today, and this is a story I've been trying to get to for a while, and I'm glad I waited because there was more information by waiting for it to come. The owner of a property that includes Mel's Diner on West Main Street has put the site up for sale with an asking price of $7.8 million. The February 1st listing came just two weeks after the Board of Architectural Review on January 17th held a preliminary discussion about the future of two buildings that would require their permission to be demolished. Kevin Riddle is with the firm Mitchell Matthews Architects and Planners. This is very much a work in progress, by the way, um, but uh, this is uh, the beginnings of, a, uh, of uh, the, the shape it might take. Riddle and his firm did not represent a particular owner, according to Jeffrey Werner, the city's historic preservation planner. But the presentation on January 17 offers us a glimpse into the role that the Board of Architectural Review may play under the new development code. As of mid-January, Werner said staff were trying to understand all of the new parameters of the new code, and he had not conducted any sort of analysis of what the new Corridor Mixed Use 5 zoning might mean. That's CX-5. What's in front of you is sort of aspirational, and, and, and it's not something that I can say, oh yes, everything here is fine, uh, except for the design review. In all, there are three pieces of property listed, totaling 0.608 acres, with a combined 2024 assessment of over 3.1 million. Two of the parcels are in the West Main Architectural Design Control District, and another on Cream Street is outside of that boundary. The materials were not presented to the appointed body until the meeting and are not available. They are, however, in the video. Warner advised the BAR to ask about the fate of the two contributing structures, which require permission from a legislative body to be demolished. City Council agreed in December of 2013 to protect more buildings, as I wrote about the time for Charlottesville Tomorrow. There's a link in the newsletter. The Mel's Diner uh, was um, it's a 1960s building. Uh, it was added to the uh, as a contributing structure in 2014 with a the map was updated uh it involves the entire uh building um curiously this was not originally a diner it was a um dry cleaners and um, the back uh single story building was the, the the machine works of the dry cleaners werner said the building that houses mel's is an iconic one important to the community if nothing else, the the front that that you know the building with the strange roof is really a piece that would be um, I think a lot of people would fight um, to preserve. Now, as I said, the properties are now zoned CX five, which means new development could cover the entire lot, though ten percent must be set aside for outdoor amenity use. Allowed heights in CX-5 are 72 feet as a by-right base with 100 feet if affordable units are designated. The site is zoned with our new zoning as CX-5. Um, there are properties across from it, across from Cream Street, that are RA. And so that will impose a transition zone on a part of this property. Riddle said that would require a step back in height to limit encroachment on these smaller structures in the RA zoned land. And so you can go up to three stories and then you have to uh, build 20, story, uh, 20 feet 
in uh, at stories above that. Riddle said their speculative proposal was for seven stories, which would require compliance with the city's new affordability requirements. He said the project's full scope was still being worked out, and no developer was mentioned during the presentation. One of the first images that Riddle showed was an overview of where the buildable area would be for the site, with the preservation of at least the front portion of the Mells building, as well as 731 West Main Street next door. We're asking to what extent might these contributing structures kind of adapt to a newer building? To what extent could they accommodate a new building? Might there be partial demolition to make way for it? When it was their time to ask questions or make comments, one of the members got right to that question. Here is BAR Chair James Zemer. Is the idea and the intent that if, if we retain Mel's, it would continue to be a restaurant space? Seamer wanted to know if the kitchen was in the portion of the site indicated in the presentation to be demolished. We haven't been in there okay. to really measure it and confirm, but it does not extend uh, much at all. In fact, most of the rear portion is, uh, is basically an auto repair okay. shop right now. Zemer said he would be opposed to demolition of the front portion where Mel's is, but he would be open to supporting the demolition of the back portion. Similarly with the 731 West Main, when I took a look today, you know, it's clear where the 1930s edition is because there's a coal joint in the masonry. Another BAR member thanked Riddle for bringing forth a project that would preserve the contributing structures, or at least part of them. BAR member Breck Gastinger agreed and cited a couple of precedents. You know, both the Quirk and the uh, six, what is it, 600 West Main um, are other good examples of similar strategy that have, that have worked. Somewhere on Charlottesville tomorrow, I wrote those stories too. Gastinger said the massing and scale would have a large impact on Elsom Street, but acknowledged that was beyond the scope of the BAR. Carl Schwartz is the Planning Commission's representative on the BAR and a resident of the 10th and Page neighborhood. He suggested that any design should preserve the entire portion of 731 West Main Street that has two stories. There are some interesting um, vestige signs still on that wall that I, I, I hate to see you guys whitewash it or cover it up. Schwartz was also interested in finding out how the streetscape standards called for and required in the development code would affect the design on Cream Street. Cream Street is um, a major pedestrian route. Um, most people coming up from my neighborhood don't come up 8th Street to West Main. They actually kind of cut around this parcel and come through the, uh, the Cream Street alleyway. Riddle said they would be trying to find space to accommodate what the streetscape standards describe as mixed-use B but said there could be a challenge finding enough room. But, but I hear you, um, and especially on Cream Street, we, we recognize that it would be important to um, not leave only blacktop uh, between a new building and the existing one on the other side of the street. Yeah. This was a preliminary discussion, which means that no actual proposal has been submitted. No matter what comes back to the BAR in the future for a certificate of appropriateness, one member described what he wants to see. Here is Ronald Bailey. I, I, I want a, a building that's uh, clean, modern, and, and preserves the, the historic structures as part of that. And I think that this direction is, is probably the right direction to go, in my opinion, at this point. Another BAR member urged to do what's possible to keep Mel's on the site after redevelopment, as what happened with Blue Moon Diner at 600 West Main Street. Here is Tyler Whitney. 
I think it's been around since the 90s, the, build, the, the business itself, and just being respectful of trying to have this project kind of work around and not run that business off, I think, is an important thing for the community. Stay tuned to my property transactions on my articles in Siva Weekly to see what does happen, when it happens, and thank you to supporters for helping me keep paying attention. But this is the end of 634, which might be the first edition of the newsletter that has one segment with sound bites from three separate meetings. When I tell people who pay for a subscription that they're really paying to keep me paying attention, that's what I mean. I try to bring in as much information as I can and detest when I do not have all I need to know to bring you accurate stories. To what end? Sometimes I'm not sure, but this is the work I was drawn to do over 30 years ago and I'm devoted to continuing to do it as this 21st century continues as a period of rapid change with decreasing community context. I want to change that, and thank you to the paid subscribers who make that happen. If you would like to join them, I remind you, or tell you for the first time, that Ting will match your initial subscription through Substack. Thank you very much. Uh, there will be another episode in the future. No matter what day it comes out, it will be number 635. But for right now, subtract one, because it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye.